You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to go into some detail on an important subject. I do hope that you will watch until the end and really consider what I am trying to lay out here in terms of my case. And I look forward to updates about this video as well. And this is going to be a follow-up to the Revoice video that I did a couple of months ago. So you might want to catch that video in addition to this one, because they kind of go together as companions. And both the Revoice video and in the topic I'm going to be talking about today are proposing a third way of handling the question of LGBT issues and same-sex attraction. So let's start off with some brief definitions here because I always find that's a helpful place to start. So what I affirm is the what I call the traditional position or the historic Christian position that same-sex attraction is a result of the fall and that it was not a part of God's created order. It is a consequence of sin, but that in Jesus, there is the hope of not only forgiveness, but also transformation. And that can be a a long process. That's a whole other conversation of how that happens. But I'm just briefly summarizing the traditional position. There is on the other end of the the Christian spectrum, the new reformation position, which is what I call the gay affirming position of God made me this way. God made me gay. And I have these same sex attractions as a result of the way that God made me. And so this is the full inclusion and gay acceptance view. Now in the middle is kind of this third way that I talked about in the Revoice video a couple of months ago. And again, if you haven't yet checked out that video, that will be of some help because it really lays out the full explanation there. But just to briefly summarize the Revoice position, it's it's an acceptance. Well, first of all, it is an affirmation that same-sex attraction is the result of the fall. So it agrees with the traditional position on that point, but it agrees with the new reformation position in that it affirms the acceptance of being gay as essentially an inborn orientation. They're now in the revoice position. They advocate for celibacy, for friendship, for deep relationship with same-sex people, But they do advocate clearly for not engaging in sexual relationships among same-sex people. But there is an effort in the revoice position to de-sin temptation or same-sex attraction thoughts as those thoughts are not sinful. Okay, so again, that's sort of a summary of the revoice position. So I wanted to extend that conversation and bring to your attention an organization that is similar to Revoice, but in the United Kingdom, and that is Living Out. And this is their website here. You can see the Living Out website and the big questions that they are concerned to address on their website. Can you be gay and Christian? Is it a sin to be gay? How do you live life without sex? How do I support 
my same-sex attracted Christian friend or family member. So again, this will be a bit of a longer video than normal because I want to be very careful in my documentation because the the ministry of Living Out is co-founded by a man named Sam Alberry, and I am seeing him with free uh, increasing frequency on the speaking circuit. He's recently been platformed by Crew at their winter conference. He is part of RZIM, also by other large entities such as the Gospel Coalition, ERLC, Nine Marks. So these are all very huge ministries that are platforming Sam Albury. So I wanted to do a deeper dive into his theology and his understanding of same-sex attraction. Now, Sam Albury co-founded the Ministry of Living Out a few years ago with two other friends who also struggle with ongoing same-sex attraction. Now, these men are Christians. They believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. They're born again, but they do still struggle on an ongoing basis with same-sex attraction. So as we can see here on their Who Supports Us page, we can see some really big names that are affiliated with Sam Albury and his friends. Now, I want to draw your attention to Wesley Hill. Wesley Hill was also an endorser and affiliated with the Revoice Conference. And he is an author of a couple of books about friendship and same-sex attraction. And again, I have recommended Dr. Hill in the past on my channel. However, I've stopped doing that because as I've dug deeper into his theology, I can understand, I have a better appreciation for some of the nuances of his view and how it differs from the traditional position. But again, we see Wesley Hill here affiliated with the Living Out Ministry. All right, we're going to scroll down a little bit more here. And we see Tim Keller, very prominent pastor from Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. So in fact, Tim Keller was a keynote speaker at the Living Out Conference a couple of years ago. So much like the Revoice Conference, on the one hand, Living Out does have a fairly solid stand about homosexuality being a sin. For example, this article on their website is called Why Are Some People Same-Sex Attracted? And I want to read a few excerpts. So I'm going to read this section here under original sin. First up is the doctrine of original sin. The Bible's teaching that as a result of the fall, all human beings are now marred and guilty image bearers of God. We were once perfect and so still have the inbuilt desire for perfection, but are now imperfect in everything we think, do, and say. All human beings have been born sinners with an inbuilt tendency to live for themselves rather than for God or for others. That doesn't stop us from doing good things. God's image is still there, but it does mean that we do bad things instinctively. His image has been that marred in us. The Bible clearly teaches that all human beings sin naturally, but the Bible also clearly shows that all be human beings have a propensity to sin differently. Among other things, Moses clearly had a particular problem with anger. For David, one of his greatest areas of weakness was sex. For Peter, there was both pride and cowardice. For Ed Shaw, the article of this article, it 
is, with plenty of other fierce competition, same-sex immorality. Seeing my same-sex attraction as part and parcel of original sin is really helpful. It both helps me to see it as something I can't undo myself. It's part and parcel of what it is for me to be a marred image bearer. But at the same time, God holds me responsible for how I represent it and whether I act upon it. Now, the reason I am so careful to read their extended statement here is I want to be very clear about their view of original sin. Their view of original sin fits well within the historic doctrine of sin within Christianity. I don't really see any major problems here or any major red flags. However, there are other statements on the Living Out website, which sound also like a lot like the Revoice position, which use language like sexual orientation, which gives the impression that being gay is inborn or fixed. For example, the question, there's a there's an extended article on the Living Out website about what they call conversion therapy. Now, the, 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 whether our culture's impression of conversion therapy is actually the same as what conversion therapy is sometimes is a different question that I'm going to save for other people. But this article, Does Living Out Support a Gay Cure or Conversion Therapy, is, provides deep insight into their methodology and understanding about what it means to be gay. I want you to notice how homosexuality is described as being a sexual orientation. And, and that use of that phrase implies that the orientation is fairly fixed, that it is inborn. It is the, the way that that person is. It's not something that people should seek to change. I'm going to scroll down here to number two in this article. Notice what it says. Attempting to change someone's sexual orientation assumes that being gay is somehow more problematic than being straight. We believe that heterosexuality as we encounter it in this world is just as fallen as homosexuality. That's a very interesting statement. I'm not really sure what they mean by that because heterosexuality is the way that God created us. It's the way that we, as part of the created order, that man and the woman were made for each other. So I'm not terribly sure what that statement means to say it's just as fallen as homosexuality. But let's continue. If a person changes from lustful desire toward people of the same sex to lustful desire toward people of the opposite sex, that is in no sense an improvement. So attempts to change sexual orientation could be a distraction from the real goal, which is sexual purity expressed either in fulfilled marriage or in fulfilled singleness. We do not believe that marriage is a preferable outcome to singleness. And indeed, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 38, St. Paul teaches that singleness is in some ways better than marriage. Now, again, I want to draw our attention to a couple of things that might slip by us here. First of all, to say that lustful desire between a man and a woman is no different um, then lustful desire between two same-sex attracted people. I take issue with that because in Romans chapter one, it says that people exchanged natural desires for unnatural desires. 
So I'm, I'm not confident to say they are absolutely equivocal to one another. I think that there is an extra step of, of the lustful, sinful desires of, of a man and a woman engaging in a, a lust desire for one another versus uh, same-sex attracted people engaging in lust because those are unnatural desires. So this, the way that this is worded, I think, is potentially theologically problematic. But I do see the point here is that our goal should be purity in marriage. It should be that the person that we are married to, the differently sexed person that we are married to, should be the person that we engage in sexual activity with and that we have desires for. And I also understand their point that we don't want to make single people less than or less valuable than married people. And there are some extenuating circumstances where singleness is to be preferred, as the Apostle Paul says. But I also think that it's important to point out that men and women in the beginning were created for one another. We work, there is a part of our anatomy that is created to go together and we are created for marriage. And that's not to make single people less than it's just to recognize that the default position of what we are up to as men and women is that marriage is kind of the outcome, the expected outcome in the way that God created us. But again, these are complex questions and I'm not trying to minimize single people. It's just, I'm trying to make the observation that marriage is part of the created order. So let's go on to number four. The focus on changing a person's sexual desires in order to ultimately change their sexual identity is the wrong way around. Now, I think this is a hugely important statement. So let's read how they unpack that. We believe it is essential to help people accept themselves as they are, just as God accepts us as we are. This will include accepting our sexual orientation, although it will also include accepting our God-given sexual identity as male and female. In my case, I accepted my same-sex orientation and did not seek to deny or repress it. However, over time, as I also accepted that God had made me male, I did experience some change in my sexual feelings and fell in love with and married a woman. Now, notice again the wording here. Notice how it's using and adopting this psychological concept of sexual orientation. And it's talking about accepting that sexual orientation as a form of accepting yourself. Um, I think that that is somewhat problematic because we don't have a scriptural foundation for that idea to say that people, first of all, even have a sexual orientation. That is a, a word from psychology that has been adopted and imported here. And that the idea, the words of scripture are that these are unnatural desires. So the acceptance of unnatural desires seems highly peculiar to me. Rather, we would want to try to work toward putting unnatural desires to death and 
working with God through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform those unnatural desires and exchange them back for natural ones. And again, that is a complex process and an entirely different conversation as to how that works. I'm just simply looking at this from a theological point of view and, and drawing our attention to this phraseology of sexual orientation. I think we are very conditioned to accept this phrase because everybody in our culture uses it and we don't stop to think about, wait, is that even a biblical concept? Can we support that idea biblically? Because living out is building quite a theology on top of that idea. So I think that we need to at least demonstrate some biblical warrant for that idea. Okay. So I'm going to scroll down a little bit more here in this article and unpack a couple more things. So the alternatives to the gay cure, I'm going to go to number three here. The goal of therapy should be wholeness in general. So we're talking about if a gay or same-sex attracted person goes to counseling or psychotherapy, um, why do they go? What are they hoping to accomplish? Well, under number three, it says the goal of therapy should be wholeness in general rather than orientation change. I think this is hugely important to notice because the goal of therapy in the living out model is not to change your orientation, not to look at your same sex desires as unnatural, which is what scripture calls them. Rather, it is to accept them as as fallen, but also inborn at the same time. And so the goal of therapy should be about working on, it says therapy is most helpful when the focus is not changing one particular part of the person's feelings, but assisting them toward greater emotional and spiritual wholeness in general. Now I want to draw your attention to another page on the Living Out website, and that is this audit, uh, church audit. And it asks the question, how biblically inclusive is your church? And this is a tool that has been developed by the Living Out leaders to help church leadership teams answer the, this question. Now we're going to click here on the audit and we're going to look through a couple of the questions. Now I want to draw your attention to question number one, your church family meetings include people who could be labeled LGBTQI plus and are same sex attracted, true, false, or not sure. Now I think this, this is a legitimate question. We want to think about how to create a welcoming space in the local church for people who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I think that giving some thought to that could be helpful. And especially if you live in an area, if your church is located in an area that has a high population of people who are in the gay community. What is your evangelism strategy? What are you doing to bring those people to faith in Christ and helping them to encounter the, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Like, I can see that as a legitimate question. But then when I scroll down to number 10 on the audit, it's not as clear to me what is the, the desired question or outcome that they're looking for. Number 10 says no one would be pressurized 
into expecting or seeking any healing or change that God has not promised any of us until the renewal of all things. Okay, so part of the audit is that I am supposed to, as a pastoral leader, accept that sexual orientation, this psychological category, is being accommodated in my church. And I'm not calling people who struggle with same-sex attractions to struggle. I am supposed to be calling them to just accept and embrace that as a reality in their life and to encourage celibacy or deep friendship. I think that that is somewhat problematic. So I don't know. I, I, I could see the value of the audit, but depending on how the questions are interpreted, I think it could be a, a little troubling. Now, because of this confusion in the living out position, and I'm not alone in, in having these questions and noticing these things. In fact, last spring, a Southern Baptist pastor, Dr. Tom Buck, did a series of blog posts raising very similar questions to what I'm asking here in this video about, about Sam Alberry and the positions advocated by his ministry living out. Now, I want to make it very clear that I don't agree with Dr. Buck's, all of Dr. Buck's points, but I do think that in this case, he raises a number of important issues. And apparently, Sam Alberry also thought that Dr. Buck raised a number of important issues because shortly after Buck's blog series, and I think I have a screen cap of that blog series here, it was published on the Alpha and Omega Ministries website. And I think it's a four-part thing. This is a screen cap of just part one. So if you want to go check that out, you can do that. But shortly after Buck's blog series, Alberry was asked some fairly pointed questions in a public appearance at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. And now we're going to begin to work our way through some of this these comments, because I want you to hear from Sam Alberry directly, again, because he is such a popularly platformed speaker by RZIM, the Gospel Coalition, and others. So we're going to begin a, a fair bit into this talk, but you can go watch the whole thing. It's available on Vimeo. It's publicly available. You can go search for it and watch the whole thing in context. But I'm going to kind of talk us through a few points here that he makes. So we're going to pick it up at about one hour and 10 minutes into the conversation. And you partner with Living Out Ministry. Yes, I'm, I'm one of the founding leaders of it. Three of you. Correct. And when and how and why did it be? Uh, I think it was five years ago or six years ago. Um, there were a few of us in the UK, all of whom were involved in local church ministry, all of whom have been wrestling with, with same-sex temptations. And we had sort of only just recently come to realize that each of us shared that particular struggle. We'd known each other as friends for a longer time, but uh, one or two of us had started to be open about uh, same-sex attraction and discovered that there was actually quite a few of us within this, this wider circle of friends for whom that was an issue. And we felt that, that was an unusual thing that the Lord had already given us friendship, and now we were we were kind of trying to encourage each other as brothers in this particular area of life. And we wondered if there was something in that that we could make as a blessing to the wider church. 
And all of us felt that actually there was a need and a place to have some Christians speaking into issues of sexuality from the inside of it. As the cultural pressure has, has increased, as more and more church leaders have, have kind of shifted in their theology in the direction of culture, a number of us thought, actually, we, it was the burden of my heart to say, actually, the word God has for people in my situation, battling with same-sex attraction, is a good word. And it's a word that we want to, to commend. So we thought it'd be good to have a website where we can have Christians telling their stories of the goodness of God in the context of wrestling with sexuality. The audience of the web, the intended audience of the website is was was threefold. Um, first and foremost, other believers who are wrestling with this to to give them worked examples of Christians seeking to be faithful to Christ in this area of life. We wanted it to be a resource for churches to better understand the Bible's teaching and pastoral care and those sorts of things. And thirdly, if, if the watching world was looking in, we would want it to be a, a good witness to them of, again, that the gospel is good news for gay people. That's how the ministry began. Have you kind of been continuing in that same direction? Has it changed? Where is that today versus when it began? Well, a lot's changed since then. The, the aims are still the same, that the world around us has shifted yet further. So even six years ago now, in terms of you know how quickly culture is shifting and moving, even that now feels <clears throat> feels like ancient history. Brother, I want to start with some uh, personal questions, and we talked about the fact that I would start here. Uh, how would you characterize your own desires? Well, I've I've talked about same sex attraction; those are ongoing temptations for me. Um, I would describe those desires very much as being fallen. I was I missed that? Uh, I would describe them as being fallen desires. Fallen, okay. is that better? Um, <clears throat> and actually, there, there are. If it if it's okay to linger on this point a moment, there would be three scriptures that particularly, for me, are kind of the the primary coordinates for for sort of thinking through temptation, desire. Jesus says famously in the Sermon on the Mount that if we look at lust with someone, we've committed adultery with them in in our hearts. So it's not just a matter of what you're doing physically, it's a matter of what you're doing mentally. Uh, it's not just, if I can put it this way, it's not just what you do with your genitals. Jesus is saying it's what you do with your eyes that is significant. So sometimes people talk in terms of, well, I'm not acting on my desires, so therefore it's okay. It's not okay if we're entertaining the desires, even if it's in the privacy of our own minds. So the desire for a sinful physical act is a sinful desire. So that's, that's one piece of this. Another piece is the, the distinction, I, as I understand it, in, in the New Testament between temptation and sin. Jesus tells us to pray for deliverance from temptation and forgiveness for sin. So I don't want to say that it's a sin to find yourself tempted by particular things. Uh, it may well be a sin how you respond to that. But James 1 then tells me that actually my temptations come from within and are a sign of my fallenness. Um, they're different in that respect, as I understand it, to the temptations of Jesus. He was, Jesus could only be tempted from the outside. Uh, we sadly are very easily tempted from, from within because of our fallen hearts. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there for a minute, make a quick comment. Um, so far, everything he said 
I agree with. I think he has a very fine uh, definition of of temptation and fallenness and recognizing that same sex attraction is a result of fallenness. I, I think that these are all very fine points and am glad that he is making them. So we're going to pick it up right there. We're at about one hour and 15 minutes into this presentation. And now we're going to listen to it in about another two and a half minutes. Now, different people use different language to talk about these things, and so I just want to understand a little bit better. You talked about same-sex attraction. Would you would do you use the word orientation? Um, not, is that a helpful word or no? I don't. I don't think it is anymore. Um, I think, and we'll come on to some of this. I think a bit later on. It it is useful, I think, to have something that most of us our attractions have a particular shape to them, uh, and it's useful to have some kind of terminology to distract to. to to describe the kinds of attractions that we're dealing with because it's useful to know what our temptations are like, to have others alongside us who can help us with that. Orientation now seems to increasingly imply it's a matter of immutability, it's a matter of ontology, it's a category of personhood, it's, it's like an ethnicity. I don't find that to be a, a, at all a biblical way of thinking about it. So I don't think the language of orientation from that point of, of view helps us. I think it, it is helpful to maybe say, well, that the pattern of my attractions is X or Y. Um, but I, I think that's, that's one of the areas where, you know, five years ago, I was more comfortable using the word orientation. Um, culturally, it's become loaded with more baggage in the intervening years that has made me less comfortable using it. So by the same token, you would not encourage Christian with same, a Christian with same-sex attraction to identify as gay? Correct. You and that, that's been a key thing for me ever since I've, I've kind of been thinking this through and, and wrestling with it, trying to think theologically about it, is, again, typically in our culture, gay is an identity word. It's not just describing certain feelings, it's... It's saying, this is what defines me, this is what I'm about. That's very much our culture's message. You are your sexual feelings. That is you. You are your desires. And so, I, I, again, I don't think that's a biblical way of understanding who we are as, as human beings made in the image of God. Um, Same-sex attraction is, is a way of saying, this describes an aspect of my experience Wonderfully, as believers, not everything that describes us defines us. And that is particularly the case, and we'll, I think, come on to this a bit later on, of our fallen desires and our temptations and our sins. Okay, so I'm going to stop it right there again, because this is quite a bit different than the position that, if I'm reading it right, seems to be advocated on the Living Out website. He says in this clip that he doesn't think the word orientation is a useful designation. He also makes the similar point that I made in the revoice video of how when you use this, this idea of sexual orientation in our culture, people adopt that as an identity and that that is not consistent with the Christian worldview. We don't want to turn sex into an identity. And we want to think about our identity in Christ the way that the Father talks about us. And again, these are points I made in the previous video. But 
On the other hand, it's a little confusing because this is seems to be in direct contradiction to the article that we just looked at that is still live on the Living Out website. Now, this clip of Sam Albury is from about a year ago. So, you know, I know that at large ministries, people are very busy. Sometimes it takes time to to do things. But this article is still there. This was not a screen cap that I showed you a little while ago from nine months ago. This was a live website as of today when I am filming this video. Um, so I think that there needs to be some clarity either by removing this article or by revising this article to show the shift in Alberry's thinking. Um, now, granted, the author of the article on the website is not Sam Alberry, but he seems to be promoting a position that is out of step with his own ministry. So that is a little confusing. Okay, we're going to watch one more clip here uh, for another two and a half minutes or so. We're going to pick it up right here. We're about an hour and 17 minutes into this video. Now, I'm going to keep camping here on this for a second because I see a lot of confusion, especially uh, around you, brother, out there yep. uh, on this question of desire and whether or not you would uh, permit desire. So, for instance, someone tweeted on Saturday as I was preparing questions. Someone said, uh, same-sex attraction is homosexual desire. It must be mortified, not permitted. Uh, do you permit same-sex desire? I I shouldn't. So my my I, they are to be mortified. So I agree with that. Um, it's a it's a form of sinful desire. It's um, it's not just a sexual thing, by the way. Some people say we should just call it same-sex lust. It's more than lust. Uh, for many of us, it can often take the form of prior to any kind of sexual feelings. It can become an emotional overdependency. It can become an idolatry. But all of those things, those are sinful desires. And so Paul says we're to, to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh in Romans 8. Um, that applies to this. How do you encourage brothers to fight wrongful desire? Well, the way I encourage my, myself is there are certain passages that, are, that really help me with this one is Romans 6. Uh, our relationship to sin has changed now that we're in Christ. Sin is no longer our master, which means I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to know because it means I never have to sin. That doesn't mean, sadly, I never will sin, but it does mean every time I do sin, I never had to. It's not my master. And because we have a new identity in Christ, we have a new self in Christ, sometimes I think one of the lies of the devil is to say to us, listen, this, this is who you are. Stop trying to be this Christian thing that you're not. This is, this is you. Come on. This is how we roll. Actually, Romans 6 and, and similar passages says to me, actually, I am never being more myself as a believer in Christ than when I'm pursuing Christ-likeness and holiness. It's when I'm sinning that I'm contradicting my new and truest nature. Amen. So I find that helps because I'm thinking, even if it feels innate, sometimes we have temptations that it feels like, is this ever, is this ever going to go away? And at those points, I need to say, actually, that's not the real me. And that it's going against the grain of the real me as a Christian believer when I indulge sin. 
So that helps me. Um, Hebrews um, is 11 talks about the fleeting pleasure of sin. I love that verse. It's, it's realistic enough to say there is pleasure in sin, but it's fleeting. It will never deliver. Um, and it's never worth it. That verse helps me as well, because when we're, we're wrestling with temptation, the temptation is saying, this is going to be good. This is going to feel great. But it will only be so in a very, very fleeting way. Okay. So that, again, I think is a very helpful clarifying discussion of Alberry's position. I think that it would be great if those ideas were more reflected on the living out website. And so in, in the fairness of, of wanting to, in the spirit of wanting to be fair and balanced in the information I'm presenting, I want to give the whole picture. And that, again, that's why this is a longer video. Now, I really appreciate Alberry's highly nuanced approach to this very complicated issue. And I appreciate it that he does it as an insider, as somebody who struggles with these issues. And so he can uniquely speak into that struggle in a way that other people who struggle can understand. So I want to go to a Twitter post that happened shortly after this video conversation. And it was an exchange between Tom Buck, the blogger I mentioned a little while ago, and Sam Alberry. Tom Buck says many claim there is no difference between the struggles of sexual sin of same sex attracted people and heterosexuals, which is a claim that was made on the living out website. So I don't think that's an unfair characterization. We read those quotes earlier at the same time. They offer counsel for those battling same sex, same sex attraction that would never be given to somebody who is battling heterosexual lust. Now, I'm not sure I know what those categories are, so I'm not going to speculate that. So we're going to go right down to the next tweet. Is this wise biblical counsel on sanctification? I read an article on Sam Elberry's site, livingout.org, saying that same-sex couples that was sexually intimate could become Christians, continue living together as faithful Christians, and keep experiencing intimacy that isn't sexual. Now the article, uh, well, first of all, let's, let's read Sam's response. Put that way, it would not be wise. I think the article has been misunderstood and needs to be reworded more carefully. Now, as of the taping of this, this is dated almost a year ago. So I just went on the Living Out website and that article has actually been removed. And it was an article called, um, something to the effect of celibates, uh, same-sex couples, question mark. And that article, as of today, a year later, is no longer there. Now, I had checked it just a few weeks ago, and it was still there. But to Sam Alberry and his team's credit, that article has now been removed. So that's good. They're, they're working on refining and clarifying their position. And that's okay. Like, there should be grace for that. There should be room for that because they are doing hugely important and valuable ministry. This is, this is not a video about demonizing them. It's just a video about documenting their journey and helping to provide clarity for people about Sam Albury and his position. Since again, he is being so popularly platformed by major ministries. Okay. Now I'm going to play one more clip 
from this video from Midwestern Baptist Seminary. We're going to skip forward a couple of minutes here and uh, pick it up at about an hour and 21 minutes into the presentation. The topic of desire, though, does move us into one of the critiques on the Living Out website. One writer on the, the site says, we believe it is essential to help people accept themselves as they are, just as God accepts us as we are. This will include accepting our sexual orientation. In my case, I accepted my same-sex orientation and did not seek to deny or repress it. However, over time, I also accepted that God had made me a male. I did experience some change in my sexual feelings and fell in love with and married a woman. But then he also says, uh, obviously this wasn't you, but the writer on the side, he says, attempting to change one's, someone's sexual orientation sends a number of potentially damaging messages. And, and brother, I, I confess that as I, as I read that, I, I do find that confusing. Um, can you help me understand it? Because as I'm thinking about Colossians 3, which reads, and, and this is what I hear you saying, Colossians 3, which says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, right? So the work of killing sin isn't just about outward expression. It's about something all the way down at the, the root of what the heart wants, even what the heart, as we've been saying, wrongfully identifies as. So help me help us understand um, what living out is advocating in this regard. Thank you. Um, that sounds confusing because it is confusing. Um, I think part of what that is trying to say, albeit um, clumsily, and I share responsibility for that because I am one of the leaders of the website, I think that the stuff about trying to change orientation, I, I know the, the, the man who wrote that, um, I think part of what he's trying to say is when a, when a believer acknowledges this particular form of temptation, it's not a helpful pastoral response to say to that person, we've got to make you heterosexual. Um, that would be something I would, I would want to say. I think that is what the writer of that is trying to say. Using the language of, of orientation, I, again, I don't think helps us now. Um, this was written, I think, if, if I've got the right article in mind, a few years ago now. Um, and the language of acceptance... I think he's saying, and this is not the way to say it, is coming to terms with acknowledging, recognizing, admitting that these are particular temptations and struggles. So since all this kind of began to blow up um, last week or whenever it was, I've been going through some of these articles, particularly the ones people have been most concerned by, and... I'm, I'm one of the leaders of the Living Out website. I, I share responsibility for the content of the website, which means at some point I approved that article, um, which I've just said to you now is, is confusing and not helpfully expressed. Um, that, is, that is a mistake, obviously. Um, I think, not to excuse it, I think 
part of, as I've reflected back on how's, how has this happened, how have we ended up with, with articles that are <clears throat> causing so much distress, so much confusion, how did I not see this the first time I read that, five years ago, six years ago? I think part of it is uh, my colleagues at Living Out, Sean and Ed, we've been in the trenches together. Um, they're both faithful men who are contending in the Church of England, um, facing significant opposition for doing so. And when you read stuff by someone you know well, I think you you subconsciously fill in the gaps, read with the benefit of doubt, and you think, oh, I know him, and I know what he means. And what I've been doing since all this kind of came to sort of the forefront of, of Twitter and things, is reading those thinking, okay, if I don't, okay, I've got to look at this through the eyes of someone who doesn't know these people. As I've done that, I thought, right, okay, yes, this is, I can now see that this is very problematic. Because my initial thought was, oh, no, 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 you're misunderstanding him. But actually, you, looking at the article with, with fresh eyes, no. I think, actually, no, it was a, it was a bad article. Um, I didn't write it, but I bear responsibility for it. And actually, th that even before this all, this all blew up last week, we had actually been reflecting as, as the three of us about the fact that it is now five or six years since we, we started the site, so much has changed since then. We were already thinking we should probably do an audit of all the content and think, you know, it's stuff we wrote five years ago. Is it still fit for purpose in the way we thought it was then? Uh, these articles causing so much distress is making that a far more urgent process. And we're thinking, you know, let's, let's get some other pairs of eyes on these things as well and make sure that the things that we're trying to say, that we want to say, that need to be said, that are helpful to be said, are being said in a way as clearly as possible that won't leave people thinking, hang on, are you, are you saying we can accept sinful desires? That should not be an area where there's confusion. Okay, so I really appreciate Sam Albury's humility. It makes me respect him so much of just being willing to say like, hey, you know, we need to have an audit of our entire website. We need to make sure that, what we're saying, you know, that it's really biblical and, and coming at content that's been there. And now that, that they're growing in their understanding and, you know, all of those things really appreciate the spirit behind that. And in fact, he posted this on Twitter uh, again, about a year ago in March, 2019, there was this string. He says about this article that he thinks that the article has been misunderstood. But if I can persuade you that I'm not lying, then then there's not much more I can do. I mean, he's really trying to continue to have this humble posture. And Tom Buck says, you know, he found Sam's book, Is God Anti-Gay Solid? In many ways, what deeply concerns me is the message promoted by those you partner in ministry with at livingout.org. The articles on that site, some of them, you know, I might have qualified that if I was tweeting it. Some of the articles on the site are deeply disturbing. And he's making the charge of being deceptive. Sam replies with this. This is not an excuse for sloppiness on our part, of course. But there are some transatlantic differences emerging on how things are read. We'll try to do all we can to do better on this. 
We'll be reviewing all our articles in light of these concerns. So again, I'm grateful for Tom Buck's bringing this up, researching it. Again, I don't agree with him on every point, but I also really appreciate Sam Alberry's humility and being willing to clarify his position. And I really hope that this video helps to clarify where he is and where his ministry is, because some of these statements are still on his website and it has been almost a year. And some of these statements are deeply troubling, but as you can also see, there are shifts and some things have been removed. So hopefully Sam Alberry and his associates will continue that process and, and revise or remove these, these references to sexual orientation and the wording and clarify things more according to what Sam's statements were last year at Midwestern Baptist Seminary. And all of this is not to villainize Mr. Alberry. He's doing very fine work in the gay community. I'm glad that he's a voice in that space. I just thought that we needed to have some some discussion to raise awareness about his position because it is a highly nuanced position. And again, he has such high visibility with ministries like RZIM and the Gospel Coalition. And I would like to add my voice to encouraging Mr. Alberry to provide the public with updates about his positions, updates to these questions. You know, have, how have things shifted for you since last March, since these statements, and to continue to provide more clarifications but as of right now, I, I hesitate about referring people to the Living Out website because some of these articles are not safe. And so, you know, I would want to do it in a qualified way, but hopefully Mr. Alberry and his team there will follow through with that audit and continue to make revisions on their website that seem to reflect Alberry's true positions. So... I thank you for watching and I do hope you find this video helpful and I look forward to your feedback. Thank you so much for watching. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.